Hey everyone, thank you for tuning in. Today's episode is brought to you by Bluefish Design, now in Scottsdale, Arizona. Bluefish Design is a full-service marketing ad agency. They can work with you on your logos, your branding, your website development, your mobile apps, your interactive digital media. I mean, really, whatever it takes to take your company to the next level. They're young, they're hip, they're fun, they're fresh. Check them out online, www.bluefish.com. That's B-L-U-F-I-S-H.com. And now for today's episode, today is a Cabernet Conversations episode. Uh, these episodes are where we just really open a bottle of Cabernet, and we have a great conversation all about the state of the industry. We talk about the tasting tongue, a new device that's coming out that can spot fakes. We talk about trigger words in our life and all sorts of stuff in between. It's a lot of fun. These episodes aren't all about knowledge. It's more about the state of the industry, so we really hope you enjoy. Thank you for tuning in. And if you want to check this episode out on YouTube, we are on YouTube at Spilling the Truth Podcast. Please be sure also to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or whatever your favorite social media is. Enjoy. And we're live. Cool. Man. So, Cabernet Conversation episode. I'm going to like these. I think that's going to be its own little staple. You know, what's kind of unique about doing the Cabernet Conversation episode is it's not necessarily purely knowledge-based, and it's actually kind of a way for us to just kind of bullshit for a while. Yeah, that way we can do, like, knowledge-based things when we get some drinks instead of just ramble on for 20 minutes before we even talk about a wine or guest. We could focus more on just what's going on around everybody, and whether it's in the booze industry or whatnot, while we have a glass of cab. Whatnots. That's a what ca- that's that's a kind of a word that kind of popped up in you know society. What is it? A whatnot? I don't know, man. <laughs> it so doesn't many, exactly make sense. There's so many things out there that I like. We say, and I don't think there's a lot of meaning behind it now. But back in the day, something mattered. Yeah, like something as simple as a, a penny for your thought kind of thing. Like, well, now it's like a hundred dollars for your thought. Now it's gonna be a bitcoin for <laughs> it's your a thought. Bitcoin for your thought. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's got to be something like that. Don't don't look a gift horse in the mouth. What the fuck is a gift horse? True. And why the hell would you look like look at one anyway? Like, does ever? it bite you if you look <laughs> at it? Like it's just you, oh, look it at its mouth. Snap, grabs you in the face. You know some of the the phrases we have and that are common. You're right. They're so a lot of them just don't match today's society or other societies have different translations that work better. Like what's coming up is something like break a leg. I've always yeah. hated that. It sounds so dumb. Like, oh, go break a leg. Yeah. But in Italy, they say "embuca lupo," which means "into the mouth of the wolf." That sounds so that much sounds, better. That sounds dangerous. Yeah, but it's like, like yeah, go, go get it. Like, yeah. yeah, jump into the mouth of the wolf. You like, know what we have in America? We have yeet. We're gonna yeet that. Like, what the fuck? And I, I found out yeet recently. It's been just grab it and just fucking toss it. Is that what it means? Basically, yeah. So like, oh man, they just yeeted that. They just grabbed it and threw it out that way. So weird. And I might not even be right. I just every time I watch a video, they're like, man, he yeeted that and just threw. It. I thought it was a Kanye West thing, and maybe it is a Kanye West thing, and maybe it's a Fortnite thing. I don't fucking know. Not- I feel old. Like I'm 32, and I don't even know what certain people are saying anymore. But it's fun to say. I'm going to be that like old guy at 50 saying the wrong things and like kids and teenagers are going to look at me like, you're an idiot. <laughs> but I'm going to make fun of every bit about it. Um, just making sure that we have this all dialed in too because we're messing around with mics. You have uh, the right mics going on for us here? One and three? Yeah. Just making sure. Yeah, one and three. You know, as, as we're experimenting with video. <laughs> I'm like, now I'm like looking at it like, nope, yep, got it. 
Yeah, well, because the first ever Twitch stream we did, we recorded without sound, which was, that was fun. Yeah, wonderful. <laughs> we were so excited, and we were muted for an hour and forty five minutes. So all they see is yes. It's like watching an Italian uh, movie that was done in uh, black and white with no sounds, where I, it's just dubs. I was saying, I wonder if I could like type subtitles on it and still post it. Do like an MXC style. We should go back and just <laughs> just overdub ourselves. <laughs> we, yeah, our mystery science three like three thousand. We're gonna just... drinking wine. Yeah, that movie was. Did you ever see? Like, did you watch Mystery Science Theater three thousand? I watched it religiously when I was a little kid. Oh, such a great show. Um, they brought I, it back on Netflix, and I didn't watch any of the remakes. I think oh, it was just yeah. part of the nostalgia of my kid my childhood i didn't want to like spoil it and ruin it because a lot of this shit that we watched when we were kids was so cheesy when you try and redo it in a modern society or a modern take it doesn't work like no. i was watching i hadn't seen it in forever i watched beetlejuice the other night really cheesy as all hell it's funny if they and i think they're they're, re, they're not remaking but they're doing a sequel i oh, think finally sucks. but if they made if beetlejuice came out today it would have a what one percent on Rotten Tomatoes would yeah, be probably. horrible. Like everyone would leave the theater going, "Oh my god, that was atrocious." Well, I mean, I recently watched Airplane because it's on Netflix, and I just I couldn't stop laughing because everything's set up for a punchline. Now, it's not a matter of you can't say that today. It's you can't make a movie where it's punchline after punchline after punchline with just stuff in the background that's already a joke. Like I finally just realized as the plane they show the plane flying, it's a twin engine jet. But they use a prop plane as the sound. I'm like, that's so stupid. And it's just hilariously dumb. And they're like, Shirley, you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't, don't call, call me Shirley. Shirley. <laughs> I mean, there's so many fun lines in there. And also, there's a lot of racist stuff in that movie. Dude, there's everything. The girl who talks jive to the two black dudes up there talking jive. Oh, my God. Millennials' heads would explode if they made that movie nowadays. Oh, my God. Somebody would be offended. Of course. Like, Tropic Thunder was amazing. And that's, like, limits that even now people... He almost won an Oscar for that. That, that might have been the last of the... Super vulgar, super like can get away with something movies. See, I don't think so. I think now it is, but I think like most things, it's kind of cyclical. I think now everybody's all PC'd, and then eventually this next group of people who gain some form of power are gonna hate PC culture so much. So you're Could basically be. gonna turn around and say, shut up and then bring back done. They're not gonna go, you know, Naked Gun or Police Academy or uh Mel Brooks's um uh like any movie that he did any style movie. thing. I mean, yeah. yeah. They're not going to go to but, that I limit. mean, Blazing Saddles is one of the most ruthless movies ever oh, made. So. It's, it's hilarious. Like, Him popping over? Where the white women at? <laughs> everybody should watch Blazing Saddles at least once every like five years. Ex especially people who get offended because hopefully your head explodes and we don't have to deal with you. But yeah, Tropic Thunder was perfect because like they really pushed a limit and that was 2000 and I don't know what, 10 maybe? No, it's probably a little like 2009, 2008, I think, is when that was. I out. mean, they pushed it on a couple subjects in that movie, too. Yeah. But whatever. I mean, I, I'm still happy with most stuff we have up. But I haven't seen a good comedy, like a real laugh-out-loud, uncontrollable, crying comedy in a while. And some producers can get away with stuff. I just watched the other night uh, The Black Klansman. I was a good one. I and, was good. and I enjoyed the movie. It was actually... But it was... Uh, what's his name? Uh, Spike Lee. Spike Lee. Which Spike I mean, Lee's dope. <laughs> but, I mean... If Spike Lee didn't do it, maybe some people would be like, oh, I don't know about that. That's a good point. Maybe. I hate that shit. Just have, if you don't like it, you don't have to watch it's it. It's entertainment. Yeah. Like, exactly. I don't like ballet, but I'm not going to go bash it whenever I get an opportunity to. 
And Sarah hates UFC, but she doesn't sit there and go, God, why do you just like watching people beat the crap? She's just like, whatever, go I enjoy mean, your nonsense. Warm climate Chardonnay offends me. Oh. <laughs> hey, some yeah. people enjoy that stuff. Yeah, over-oaked nonsense $5 cab on a shelf offends me. <laughs> yeah, Mad Dog 2020 <laughs> offends me. So what does the MD stand for? Because it's oh, not what, Mad Dog. What was it again? It was like Michael, not Michael David, but it was Michael David. <laughs> it was some name along those lines. It was Michael like, Dorden. <laughs> yeah, it's like some dude's name. Yeah. Like It was like the guy it's who not invented Mad Dog. I was always told, oh, I grew up drinking Mad Dog 20 and Boone's Farm and Blue Nun. I'm like, and now that after we talked about this, it's not Mad Dog. Yeah. So crazy. So yeah. So I, so I brought this one for this conversation because uh, what was the last cab we did? So we did two cabs. I think we did one of the mom cabs and we did something else. We grabbed a couple wines out of the back Yeah. and just popped a couple cabs and had a good conversation. Cabernet is a wine that people could just sit around and talk about. Yeah. And just have a good conversation with your friends. You can get into some arguments. You could love each other. You could hate each other. You can hug it out. You can cry. I mean, you cab- get into loud screaming arguments over the same thing about a woman's soccer team. I mean, <laughs> with your dad. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. You think about nights when you and I drink a couple white wines, whatever, with your father. We have a decent conversation. We start drinking cab. The conversation always gets deeper. It always goes a little sometimes too far after bottle number six. Well, yeah, I was going to say, is it the amount of bottles we drink or is it? But to be fair, for the most part, he's a cab drinker. You're not. You're getting into it. I'm a cab and Italian drinker. But for the vast majority of Americans, they're cab drinkers. See, I don't want to say I'm not a cab drinker. I. It's one of those things that I don't like over-extracted cabs. I don't like young cabs. You know, so many times I, people open up an old cab. I'm like, this is fucking delicious. Yeah. This is unbelievable. I just don't like the fact that most of the ones that come out nowadays, they're too in your face or too okay. They're just not ready to drink. And the ones that are ready to drink, a lot of them are just cheap. To me, I, I kind of equate wines to certain cars, like regions to cars, whatever. A must, or excuse me, a Cabernet to me always comes out as a Mustang. And I say that because there's a million different Mustangs. Your basic Mustang is cool. It's fun to drive. It's nice. Some people just hate it because they just hate Mustangs. But the fact of the matter is, if you have a Mustang, that's the kind of car. But then everybody tweaks it. Then you have the 5.0. Then you have the Saline. You have the Roush. You have the Shelby Cobra. The Cobras are those high-end ones. And I kind of equate them to cars because there's always a basic version. There's always the holy shit high-end. And the high-end doesn't actually turn out to be that good. It just looks like it's really good. And then it's actually a piece of crap, terribly built thing. And then sometimes some people get their hand on that same car and they turn it into this amazing piece of art that travels the country and there's only like five or six of them built kind of a thing and there's certain wines that i have where i'm always like okay let's see where this goes this one to me i grabbed this because this is old i wanted to do something old not young this time uh so i grabbed this one uh it's barber vineyards so it's out of saint helena it's a big style cab heidi barrett made this one back when i think they first started this vineyard site so napa cab prices are now officially leveling out you know, for a number of years now, they've been on a constant upswing, yeah. and they keep getting more and more expensive. We've now seen two years in a row of a plateau. It's about so time. maybe they finally hit their. I don't want to spend any more money on this, like that, or it might be a bad sign where people just aren't buying the super high end stuff because they're pre- prepping for like a tail in the economy or something. So this is the crazy thing: you're going to be blown the most expensive wine in America, Screaming Eagle Sauv Blanc. Yep. Crazy, the white. I could tell you that one right now. Yeah. Yeah. Screaming Google Saw Blanc goes for like two, three grand. Average price in America right now. I'm going with $3,000. $5,923 per bottle. That's a fucking Sauvignon Blanc. It's a Saw Blanc. 
what the fuck? I can buy- You can buy 5,200 Saw Blancs that are okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, you could buy a $10, you, you could literally buy 592 bottles. You could buy an entire acre worth of Saw Blanc and make your own label. Yeah. Off that one bottle, I can get drunk for like two years. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. You could buy, you could buy, put a down payment on a car. So that's the most expensive wine I've produced in America. I'm getting- uh, Number two Screaming is Eagle. Screaming Eagle Cab at $3,567 as the average is this, price. this top American expensive yes. ones? Okay, so who a Scarecrow will be in there. Top five. Scarecrow is in there. Scare- Harlan. Uh, Harlan is number three. Okay, there's so and that's, that's at $1,065 average price. What was Scarecrow? Scarecrow is number five wow. at an average price of $794. Colgan? Colgan is not on this list. Schrader. Schrader is not on this list. Wow. Uh, Scarecrow Cab. Hold on. Uh, uh, Screaming Eagle, The Flight. Oh, okay. So there's number six. So three of the top six are Screaming Eagles. That is crazy. By the way, though, think about this, though. The people who buy Screaming Eagle Cab probably also, in their allocation, just buy the other two just because they can. It's not a matter of, oh, I can only afford the cab. These guys have 10 houses around the world and just go, oh, fuck it, just buy the whole damn thing. Which is probably why they get away with a $5,000 Saw Blanc. Uh, Realm, the absurd absurd proprietary red at $692 is number eight. I'm on that list, and uh, I'm hoping to buy one this year because they sell them at like $400. Yes. This is is retail pricing, too. This isn't, this is... It's not what the list... This is average retail price in America. So, of course, by the time this hits New York City, it might be cheaper than or more expensive than what it is in California or from the winery. If you're picking it up at the winery, you don't have to ship it all the way across the country in, like, refrigerated True. trucks. Yeah. Um, Realm the Absurd, yeah. Number nine, Bryant Family Cabernet at $625. Really, Bryant Family. I think they just got sold, or maybe it was Grace Family. It was either Grace or Bryant. One of them just got sold. And so, did you do, all right, so we're on 10. And 10. Uh, it's got to be a brand. Levy and McClellan. Cabernet Sauvignon, Napa Valley, six hundred twenty-four dollars. I've actually never, never heard of them. I've never have either. No. And we actually missed number four. I didn't mention was Tusk Estate Cabernet. Tusk. I've heard of Tusk. I've never had it. And that's at eight hundred and sixty-eight dollars a bottle. So I've only had Screaming Eagle once, and I got a sip, like literally, like a one and a half ounce pour, because somebody had the end of it and was like, "Here, try it." And was I, it ten times better than the three hundred fifty-dollar bottle that you've had? No, it wasn't. Here's the thing, though. To me, it's straight one. It, I you've mentioned this before in some wines, and I don't usually get it when you say graphite or pencil shavings. I tasted that and it was like, oh my god, it tastes like a tip of a pencil. Like, but that's all I tasted. Now, granted, this was like a two thousand something. It was older, and I didn't have a chance to sit there when they first opened the bottle and let's see how the night goes. So my initial introduction was a one ounce pour of Screaming Eagle, and I didn't like it at all, not one bit. So when, when, when it comes to America right now, Napa Valley dominates Cabernets. Yeah. So people that are looking to buy Cabernets from alternate regions, where do they go? Because right now, Napa's, in a way, has priced themselves out of the everyday consumer market. There is some cheap cab out there that's produced in Napa. It's really not that good. I mean, I know that there's some that are hitting the markets right now at 18 to $24 you know, retail, and they're okay. Some are decent. Ooh, that's big. But right now, so many of the Napa producers keep getting more and more and more expensive. I mean, whether it, can. It, I mean, you got the, the Turnbulls of the world, the the Groths, the Alpha Omegas. You go all the way up and down through Silverado Trail or Twenty Nine, and and Turnbull's cheap compared to Alpha Omega yeah. and Groth in some cases. 
you know, I always like Plump Jack, but I'm pretty sure Plump Jack's getting in the probably what sixty to eighty dollar range, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I'm seeing it with Pinot Noir. Granted, Sonoma is bigger, but I used to be a huge fan of William Selliams. I'm not no longer a fan, but I just don't buy their wines anymore because their cheapest one now is like 50, 60 bucks and creeping up. And it used to be 30, 40. And now I'm like, all right, I'll, if I love it, I'll spend the money on that bottle that I love and I'll sell it. But I no longer care to love the ones that are a hundred, $150. I only spend that kind of money on a cab. I know nobody's ever going to get or a Italian wine that nobody's ever going to get. And that I can sell it for 10 years and break out at a really cool moment randomly but i drink wines like that on the regular so sojourn's been my one because they're 30 bucks and it's fantastic there's 20 dollars pinots that are starting to get really really good that i enjoy so where does somebody in the united states you know go to get something that's affordable juicy that's that's gonna over deliver for the price because to me napa valley does not over deliver for the price so i'll tell you i've recently had two that i thought were fantastic for the price uh, three, just to throw it out there, there are great Sonoma ones, but you got to actually actively look. But for the price, Argentina Cab is crushing it, and Washington is still honestly not like their high end stuff's priced out, but their low stuff is not. I think Washington has great Merlot and Cab, and Merlot that acts like a cab big, jammy, juicy, all the flavors. I think if you branch and try that, you'll nail something. But you're right, if you're looking to try to get into Cabernet and you go straight for Napa. I think you're going to have two problems. One, Napa Cab is Napa Cab. It's not Cabernet the rest of the way the world makes it for the most part. Napa Cab is a very specific parkerized way of doing it. Big, over-macerated, higher alcohol, and jammy. And that's that's kind of more of a norm of the mass-produced things. I'm not saying that's how it is for any of the mountain people or any of your small guys, but it's just probably what you as a consumer who are trying a new cab is going to run into. But for 10 bucks, I had an Argentina cab that was fantastic. It's probably what Napa was when Francisca, or we had that uh, Freemark Abbey and it had the $8 sticker tag on it. And that's probably what some of these guys down in Argentina are doing. I mean, I was just talking about a tasting that we had not too long ago where we had like a 1980 Sterling. And that it was wine, the 73 from Atlas. It blew us away. Dude, it was so good. Oh, it was in the, yeah, it was the 70s. Oh my yeah, God. You're 73. Right. I remember because that was the first time I had an old cab yeah. and I went, Wow. We had uh, Montebello. There was all sorts of stuff on that table that, were, that was banging. Like mid-80s, mid-90s, Napa wines were fantastic. Also, alcohol that, was like 12, 13% at most. Didn't expect it to hold up, and that wine was still fucking fresh as a daisy. Like yeah. I was really, really impressed by that. I was talking about this with, I don't know if it was you or somebody else, but we were basically saying, how did, how did you go from that 1973 Sterling, which was amazing that it made it this far, to now Sterling is just like... Like it's on every shelf across the entire USA for ten bucks, and it might make it, you know, a month later. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it's the the oak that they're using. I don't know if it's the fact that they've overexpanded, that they've overproduced. I don't know. I'm I'm not exactly sure. I'm not in that world necessarily. I don't work for a big name winery. Yeah. Um, speaking of Argentina, so they just did their their harvest happened already. Their 2019s are already in. Are they really? Oh, yeah. yeah, I guess it makes sense. Yeah, because, yeah, February, March. They, but they, what is it? It's just white wine. They harvest in spring, so yeah. right now you're going to start seeing the whites hit in the market. It's always funky when you start seeing New Zealand Sauvignon Blancs or whites from Argentina or Chile hitting the American market, and you're seeing 2019. We haven't even picked our 2019s yet. But to be fair, though, how bad is that for their versions for rosés? 
because nobody wants to drink a rosé. Now, we like to drink rosé, but the average consumer, it's in the they off-season. won't drink it in October, November. But how, many, how often have you seen an Argentinian or, Argentinian. or Chilean rosé? That's a good point. I, I, don't, don't, I can't honestly off the top of my head no, think of one. You don't see them out there. I mean, they make their varietals the way they are. I'm sure that they're at the winery. We just don't see them in America. That's a good point. They probably keep a lot in-house or in-country for the most part, probably. So harvest reports are now in um, for the vintage. For, for uh, South America, for, for Southern Hemisphere. And I'm not quite sure. I haven't done the research yet on Australia or New Zealand, but Argentina is saying it's their best vintage in upwards of 10 years. It okay. was a very hot season, but they got uh, they didn't have a lot of rain. Yields are a little bit lower in Argentina. Yields in Chile this year are way down, 30%. Quality is through the roof, though, because yeah. the yields are so low. That's the thing. The more, gr- the more grapes you produce, typically the lower your quality. I'm so intrigued to see how Europe's going to turn out this year because that heat wave has been so bad. Yeah, and there's been no break. That's a, it, and, No and, break. And that's what happened in Argentina this year is that they had a break. They actually had some really cool nights. They had a good... And what happens when you have those hot summers and cool nights, it allows the wines to produce acid. The acid levels right now in the Argentina wines are saying it's some of the best acidity levels they've ever hit. I will say for even in Arizona, we're having a very intriguing year in a good way. I've talked to a lot of the guys so far who are getting ready to pick. So by this time last year, they were already picking their whites. Last year, we harvested August 2nd in Arizona, and nobody's picked yet. They're thinking August 14th to the 20th area in between those when they're going to start picking their first whites because they're like, it's been kind of a nice year. Like the days stay warm, but man, the nights have just been cool. And it's kind of, it's letting the grapes, but or not, but, uh, like ripen a little bit more than normal. So I think Arizona might actually have some decent grapes this year. So I'm kind of intrigued to see how this goes, you know, short of, well, I remember last year we had a hurricane come up the Baja and fucked up vintage so bad because it dumped so much rain on that Sonoda El- Wilcox Elgin this year. Yeah, they get some monsoons, but they tend to miss a little bit. And uh, we'll see what happens. But so far, no hurricane threat. I've been following a couple of the producers from the South through social media, and I know that they haven't had a lot of breaks from rain. And last night, they had a break. So a lot of rain the other day. Last night, everybody was running out to pick last night. Like, people were picking late into the night because it was a nice break in the weather. Uh, Just so you don't want to bring in grapes all wet and because you're going to get that's m- mentioned extra water and the juice and must and mildew and yeah, yeah you could end up with a lot of issues bringing in a bunch of like that's wet one grapes. thing i've never noticed about arizona i don't think i've seen mildew almost ever you know we've had some other problems that you know we're not really allowed to talk about but like mildew was never really a huge one in that case i just don't think it's ever that moist because you know if it rains the next day it's humid as shit but then all of a sudden it's dry as the hell the next day what what, what was that word you said Moist. <laughs> it's just it's a trigger word for some people. Some people. It cracks me up. They don't like being all moist. <laughs> There's something about the moi. There's like people that are cringing right now every time you say that. Just fuck this. I'm not watching this. All right, so Click. here's the, every time we say moist during this show, you need to drink. <laughs> it's My mouth needs to be moist. Yeah. So this so far. So like, oh my god. First, gonna... first thoughts, fantastic. It was. You said big, but. To me, it's actually really creamy and round, and it's not aggressive. It's really, to me, it's actually kind of soft. Like, I don't have, it doesn't have aggressive tannins. They're really uh, sanded down. You know, we talk about hazy IPAs, how the the edges are sanded off. That's how I feel about this right now. Okay, cool. Uh, 
I like where we're going with this, but let's figure out what we mean by big. So I, I as somebody who's been in the wine industry from every aspect, both of us, my idea of big is a physical feel of big. Some people's big is super tannic and aggressive and bitter, which isn't big. To me, big is like, this is like drinking like a like a whole milk. Kind of, like it's big on my mouth, but you're right. The, the tannins are so soft. Like there's no grip. It's all rounded smoothly. It is. It's like having like a lactose IPA. There's there, no sweetness, but it's just, but it feels big in there's, my mouth. There's, there's two characteristics to me that make a wine, uh, make me want to say the word big. And that's going to be, Tannin structure and and mouthfeel. So there are big juicy Zivendels that don't have a lot of tannin, but the viscosity is heavy. Big. I mean, it's it's high alcohol and juicy, extracted. It's raisiny. Some of those wines are ginormous, like stuff like um, Opolo Zin. A lot of those Pasarobles Zinvendels. The tannin structure is not high on it, but the yeah, viscosity and the alcohol level is high. Yeah. So I go, holy shit, this is a big wine. Also, on the other end of the spectrum, for me, I also consider a big wine ones that are very high in tannins because it just, it kicks you in your teeth. Like, you're just like, oh my God, what the hell just happened? Like, so even some of those Barolos that are really aggressive, those are big wines to me. But see, that's where but I would disagree. sometimes they're thin. Yeah. Well, they're thin in the palate to me, but I think it's the, it's the tannins that make me say the word big. I've never used it, rarely have I ever used the term big on a Pinot Noir. I, I don't think I, you know what you would use a Mayomi comes off as too big. That's because it's fifty percent Zivendel. But dude. so for me, I think of it like Syrah. like a UFC or even a heavyweight fighter, like a big like a heavyweight guy could be that big giant dude, but he throws little delicate hits, or you know you get Mike Tyson knocking you out to another planet. But if you have that scrawny, uh, what's a, a Mighty Mouse kind of a guy, he's not big, but he'll knock you clean to another planet. Like that can be some Barolos. They're light. But the tannins, the tannin is aggressive. Like, that's where I come in with that. But, I don't say big for tannin. But Muhammad Ali was a heavyweight, but he floated like a butterfly and stung like a bee. That's Barolo. Barolo floats like a butterfly, stings like a bee. That's not Napa Cab. So, I mean, that's, that's why I say that's kind of, it is a term that, I think we talked about this actually on our first Cabernet Conversation episode as we got this whole debate about what's what big. big. Yeah. And just like the word dry to me isn't, the same to him or her or you, the word dry is different to a it's, lot of different people. We have different tastes. Yeah. We have different taste buds. We have different sensations we feel when we try wine. So some people, I've had this happen a lot of tastes. They're like, oh, that's dry. And I'm like, oh, it's not dry. That's a sweet wine. Yeah. Like, but it's the way people perceive it. But to be fair, it's one of the very few things. I think alcohol in general is one of the many things that are there's no education for until you get into it it's not like you know like you're in grade school they teach you a little bit of english and they teach you more english and then as you go life they teach you across your life you just jump in to wine or beer or liquor and you hope somebody's going to teach you how to swim and if you don't know how to swim you're just fucking doggy paddling go oh i'm swimming i've been swimming my whole life this is how i do it and you're like no you're an idiot let me tell you how it really is kind of a thing so Everybody I know who comes into my winery sits there and my thing with the dryness and I do correct them, but I don't do it like disrespectfully by any means. They go, oh, I like a dry wine, but not too dry of wine, but a little bit dry. And I go, oh, I'm so, like, you're thinking of tannin. And they're like, what do you mean? I go, cool. Well, let me teach you. So dryness just means sugar. Like there's no sugar in these wines. These are all going to be dry. But what you're thinking is that, that, that tactile sensation, you know, where it's kind of chalking. They're like, yeah. I'm like, well, that's tannin. Do you like that? 
no, I hate that. Cool. Well, then we're not going to have this cab that I make and I'm not going to push you on this like, you know, Sagrantino I make or whatever I do. So you would like a Gamay or a Pinot Noir or maybe this soft Merlot might be like right at that boundary for you. But and then they and then most of the time people are like, oh, OK, so, you know, if I, you know, went to a restaurant and I said, I don't like a tannic wine versus a dry wine. I said the Psalm will know what you're saying. If you say, hey, I don't like a tannic wine, but I like red, they'll give you a Beaujolais or, you know, a Pinot Noir or something soft. The big, I I have no idea how to explain that to me. It's like trying to tell somebody what green is. Yeah, well, it's it's actually really funny too because you can't go the opposite of it. You can't you can go into a restaurant and say, "Hey, I want a big wine," and the sommelier can get an idea of what you want. If you say, "Hey, I want a little wine," he's like, "What? <laughs> you can't go the opposite." Can I get a petite wine like a Syrah? No. no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, 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 don't, I, I I want a little wine. Yeah. A what? You're like, well, I don't like big, so I want little and. That thought process comes from a friend of mine that worked in Vegas that once, I think I was telling you that somebody came in and said they wanted a wet wine once. <laughs> and it was one of the funniest things. I remember her posting this on her social media. I'm like, wait, what? They're like, she was blown away. She's like, she's like, I had to have a conversation with this person. <laughs> like, they wanted a wet wine? All they knew is they didn't like dry wines. <laughs> and so they're like, what's the opposite of dry? Wet. wet. <laughs> so they, they tried to order a wet yeah, wine. Hey, what's the opposite of dry? <laughs> Moist. <laughs> Drink. <laughs> I like uh, <laughs> no man I like uh, it's it's I love the educational aspect for wine especially when the light bulb goes off in somebody's head and when it doesn't it's actually kind of funny but I I find um, what was that brand you represented from uh, the uh, the T-shaped islands off of Sicily um, uh, Colosi the Nero de Avila the Nero de Avila comes off Big to me. Like, if that sat in my mouth, it would feel big, but there's like zero tannin to that wine. But a, it feels big. A lot of Nero does feel big. Colosi's were always a little softer. Like, they had a little balance. It was, they made such a unique styled Nero. Yeah. That's why I always loved it because it was so food friendly, easy drinking. Yeah. Because across Sicily, too, is that some of those grapes are. They get blasted by sun. They're sitting in an area where the grapes become raisiny and higher in alcohol. And other times they tend to be a little softer. Like that's a, to me, that would be a very tough wine to blind taste and pick up and guess what it is. Okay. I'd have, I'd have a lot of trouble guessing Nero blind tasting anything. Um, it happened recently. We were blind tasting something and it was a, was maybe an Etna Rosso? Was I think. this recently? Yeah, I think we had it together. We did the Etna. Uh, we did one with Sean where it was that blend of Nero and what's the other grape of Sicily that everybody loves? That red grape. Norello Mascalese. That's it. Yep, Etna Rosso. Oh, it was James. Yeah. We were sitting here doing the Google Maps game. That's right. It was with James because <laughs> he brought a bunch of wines that he was showing yeah. that day. Correct. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that that was the same thing up there too. You were like, I I I sat there and I was like, I don't even I don't even know. But to be fair, like the other day, I had a Nebbiolo. Uh, I put it on our Instagram, and it was, I thought it was a Gamay. I was like, I was super convinced. I was like, this is Gamay. It comes off with that real tartish flavors and a little pepper in there. And he puts that Nebbiolo down. He goes, no, this is what the Nebbiolo was made in the 17th century. It's like, wow, that was different. So let's go back to cool regions or good regions for people to drink Cabernets. Because I really, right now with the price of Napa Cab going up and up and up. And yeah, the high-end ones are starting to level out, but they're, they're so expensive. I think people that are just getting into wine need to try something without trying black box or some boxed wine or, True. you know, something that's $3 a bottle or $5 a bottle. There's some introductory ones that are okay. Yeah. 
we did a, we did an episode on introductory one base with but, the Rodney Strong. But I feel like if somebody is going to go to a wine store and talk to their local wine purveyor and say, "I want to try a Cabernet, but I don't want to spend a lot of money." I would send them right now in America to two specific growing regions. Washington is one of them. Mm-hmm. Now, Washington cabs got very expensive, and they got their hands slapped during the recession. The recession did they really, know? they did. A, a huge number of them went out of business. It okay. was actually, they were one of the hardest hit states in the nation. Do they, they just try to be like, we're Napa sec- like 2.0, yes. and everybody went, no, you're not. Recession hit, and all these people had. $100 million leases and loans on their property, and a ton of people went out of business at that point. Now, the wines that are growing, I think, up in parts of Washington State can mimic, in a way, almost like a Napa cab. Mm-hmm. Big, bold, juicy. Got It has structure. It has backbone. They're not flimsy. Where in some parts, they tend to be a little more flimsy. Yeah. I, the other part area that I really do appreciate when it comes to Cabernet right now is going to be Paso. Yeah, you know what? I didn't even think about Paso. Paso Cab. I mean, it's becoming a term now, Paso Cab. People yeah. are like Paso Cab. Because the wines are juicy and approachable. They're not too tannic, but they're always ready to drink right now. And it's inexpensive. It's inexpensive. You can get a great Paso Cab for under $20 that will over-deliver for the price. Yes. And in, I think out of... America, I mean, Grant, we're, we're growing grapes in Temecula. There's grapes all up and down through the Central Coast. There's not Ma- a single state that doesn't have grapes. We were drinking Brendan Mom's Monterey Cab Franc that was delicious that day, too. No, no, I mean, no, Malibu. Malibu Cab yeah. Franc. <laughs> so, but Which I, might be on fire at some point. And, and right now, they've actually expanded the AVAs across Paso Robles. So you actually have stuff like Templeton. You have certain areas that are actually have designations themselves. What did they make, like, like 11 it? of them? 14 so, of them? I think it's like 11. It was a lot. Yeah. It was a lot. No, I think uh, I, I think actually that's I think you definitely nailed it. Let's stay domestic. I I do think Argentina is going to be really cool because I've just been lucky enough to have a couple. I've had some Italian wines where uh, you don't get the American that New World style of stuff. Like there's some great Italian cabs, but if you th- if you have Napa cab and perfect example, I, Dad drinks Napa cab. I poured him that um, uh, uh, San Marco. I'm- Yes, I know. And he just it's, sat there and went, uh, "It doesn't do anything for me." They, and that was our cab. And he's like, oh, "I was like, oh, well." They tend to miss some of the viscosity of the cow, of the American cabs. I just think it doesn't we've have, talked about this it, like it, big, yeah. It, but big. it doesn't have the weight when they're produced overseas. I mean, that's just the way they are. I have I have had a number of Spanish cabernets that are very very good. Price point is very reasonable, but. It's also a little scary to try and buy a Spanish cab or try to explain to somebody to go buy a Spanish cab, where I can literally say, go to Washington, buy a Columbia Valley wine, buy a wine from this region, and it's going to be... Janowick. Yeah. Novelty Hill. Yeah. Fantastic. Let me do that in the last one. But what... It, so when you think of like... Let, let's talk about the future of Paso. So Two, I think... Over of, 200 wineries right now, by the way, are registered in Paso. And that's not a lot, honestly. That like Napa Valley has four hundred thirty-five, so Paso's not really like it's still scra- like scraping their potential. And I know there's definitely some ones out there that are already hitting the eighty, ninety, hundred dollars. I know there's definitely a two hundred dollar one out there. I've seen it, and I'm like, all right, whatever. But the one thing about it is universally, there's a lot of options. It's not just cab. Cab's great, but you know what else they do? They have Syrah. There's Infidel out there. I have seen bl- that Rhone style blend with the Grenache and the Movedra. 
I've seen a couple whites. I've had a couple whites. I just, I don't like the whites of Paso Robles. I think it's just too hot for it. I'm not saying that Malvasia and Roussan don't do well because I know we like um uh, like Sans Liege has great whites, but they're but but again no tannin. Sans Liege whites are big. They are. They're they're a little too much for me. Yeah. You know when I drink a white, I like racy whites. You know me. Yeah, I want we like I zippy want, and tangy and drinking whites. I don't need a big full mouth white. Like there's just too much for what I want in a wine. And you're right. Granted, we're generalizing. There are producers that produce some yes. very beautiful white wines that are soft that don't come across as warm climate. Sextant used to make some unbelievable Chardonnays. That I, if I blind tasted them, I never would guess that they were. You poured me possible. a Riesling one time from Australia, from one of the warmest regions of Australia, and I was like, "This is a Riesling. It's amazing." Yeah, yeah. it's. There are definitely, you know. Speaking of bad terms, but that, uh, what is it like? There's definitely rules to th- 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 that thumb rule. I don't remember what the hell that saying was. It was in here, it's gone. Come I on, drink. use your words. <laughs> Damn it. Anyways, so there's definitely like some exceptions to the rule kind of a thing, but for the average consumer who goes and drinks a Paso wine and they go get a cab, you're definitely gonna be happy no matter what you spend on it, and it's gonna be under $20. Paso's known for Zins. That's what they're known for. Everybody, it's, and honestly, I don't think they should and, be. And, and I worked for a producer out there that started literally, he stopped planting Zivendel, and all he's doing is planting cab, 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 because he's realizing the cab that's being produced out there is pretty damn good. And they could produce it for a decent price, and cab sells easy. It's it's the it's the king of the American wines. It's it the is. Most I mean, you're, you're going to make in America. Money. You're going to make... It's honestly, Cabernet is your bill-paying wine, basically. Unless you make that holy crap. So, by the way, I think it's rule of thumb. That's the thing I was, that I was thinking. A, a saying that I can't remember, but rule of thumb. Like, where did that saying come from? Let's bring that full circle. So, California right now has roughly 4,000 wineries registered in California. Bonded wineries. These aren't necessarily custom crushes. These are registered wineries in California. All right, so we're removing the massive super production no no you're no you're removing the one-man operation who buys uh, a handful of grapes and has a truck come to his house and make random shit bonded wineries like an actual official bond that's bonded though like those are bonded yeah but this guy only has like a that's fine 50 acre vineyard yeah i mean it's it's the the term bonded winery is actually i know i I know yeah because like we have ours is we're number 88 of arizona or something like that um the the people who make ghost block they're called the name of their company is actually bonded winery number nine because they have the ninth bonded winery ever in california isn't buena vista number two buena vista's bonded winery number two or uh, our gumlock bunchu it's one of those two Yeah. yeah so right now in america we have just over nine thousand bonded wineries and 4,000 are California. California, huh? correct. Yeah, because in Arizona, we're at 113. I went down the rabbit know. hole deep the other night with stats. This is this is the math guy It's funny, man. You're the stats <laughs> guy. I'm so the impulsive weird. fly by the handle. Let's just go whatever. And you're like, no, no, no. Let's, let's pace Once this Once I start looking at stats, I spend about two hours looking at stats, and then I jump on social media, and I'm like, hey, guys, look, know, this, this is what I learned. Yeah. And people are like, holy shit, what's wrong with you? <laughs> you're a numbers guy. I'm a visionary. Yeah. <laughs> but I think the, num- the numbers... Being a numbers guy has actually allowed me to analyze wine because I have an analytical brain. So when I try a wine, I start overanalyzing it all. It tastes like this, tastes like this, tastes like this. Speaking of this, let's go down another little rabbit hole or go down another tangent. Um, oh, you got a fact sheet? No, no, no. I'll get to the fact sheets in a minute. All right. So at the a scientific institute in Glasgow, they, inter- they finally created an artificial tongue. And this artificial tongue... 
can officially do ta- things that most men can't probably to women. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it can identify the vintage of scotch. Who produced of it? Of course they would make it scotch driven. But it's also working for wine. This is going to lead into how to tell if wines are fake. And people are going to be able to register a product. They're going to be able to take a wine, put it into the database. And then 10 years from now, you're going to be able to pour a drop onto this artificial tongue. And it will say that is a 2011 uh, Silver Oak Cabernet Sauvignon. Based on, it's, it's something like, it's thousands of times more potent and powerful than us. So they did this with scotches. With a... 99% accuracy, it was able to tell you the producer and if it was a 12-year, 18-year, 20-year, what it was. You know who's going to make the most amount of money? That 1%. They like they couldn't identify us. That's how good we are. It's, it's, they're using it for fakes. So here's that's, the thing. That's the reason why they're creating this. This is so cool and weird at the same time. Like, I, I can't see it. a bad thing, but it's a fucking dope. But think about this. All right. So, great. You got it for fakes. I'm thinking of two things. One, what you can implement it with with a robot. So let's come back to the robot conversation in a minute because that's going to be a fun one. But for right now, how does that work with a wine because it physically, chemically changes? So does a beer. Like it might, what if it's vinegar at that point? How do you know like when you take that and pour it on there and it just doesn't go vinegar? The, the, like- there are certain chemical compounds in the wine that it's able to identify and it logs those. So the same thing with scotch. I started going down. I start. I, I read through this article, and so sorry to interrupt. But is this gonna be like? It's gonna be like a twenty-three and me, where like the more the data goes in, the better it gets. So like, hey, we made this cab from this soil in this region, and then they take it, they add it to it, and then it processes it and goes, oh, okay, this soil, this template, blah blah blah, and then it's got it, and so therefore life it knows. So so you take your bottle of John Coppins Cabernet, and you submit it to the institute. They test it, and they say. It, this is all the qualities of it, and and literally like twenty three and me, it knows exactly what the two thousand and nineteen Coppins Cab is. The but 20, that's crazy. The the, the twenty twenty comes out. You submit that. That goes in, and it knows that there's a little bit of difference. Just like with DNA, they can tell the difference of this. So in twenty years, somebody can test it and be like, "That's testing within." This region, it's going to be one of probably these three wines. It's going to be from this vintage because all the wines in this vintage had this characteristic in this soil, and this is probably going to be Coppins Cabernet from 2010, 2017. I wonder at one point how much cost comes into play for things like that because if you think about the amount of wine that's given away to things, think about you got to submit to a spectator, enthusiast, a museum, a festival, now this wine tongue-based thing. At what point in time you're giving away so much wine? Then now you got to raise the price up a little bit just because you have to give away a shit ton of wine to get all these things kind of done. I mean, I'm a computer geek. You know that. I, yeah. I, I, I blew your mind in the back room here as I went down the rabbit hole. I just like, stared at you like, <laughs> what language are you speaking? Because I was talking about computer jargon and shit. Yeah. But the first computers that came out were the size of this room. Yeah. And it was like and five megabytes. <laughs> less than. I mean, it was it was insane what was years ago where it is now. Now our, our phone that we have in our pocket is more powerful, like thousands of times more powerful than the PC that I had 20 years ago or 10 I, years ago. Dude, I have a USB at home that's a terabyte, and it's like, yeah, it's, it's thick, but it doesn't matter. You so, still look at it, and you're like, So, so, so this, this tasting tongue that they've created to test scotches and wines to see what they are and if they're real or fake or not, at some point could plug into your phone in 20 years and plug into the bottom of your USB port 
or on the bottom of your phone, and you could just dip it into your wine. It's like a diabetic strip, basically. Yes. I'm, I'm telling you, this is where it's going to go. They're going to be able to dip in your wine, and it's going to come up, and it's going to say, this is the... But this dude, is the 2007 blah, 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 blah. Do you wish to leave a review on it? I'm not going to lie. That kind of sucks, man. Like, I get it if you buy a, a an auction lot. I'll put Rudy out of business. Yeah. But, like, I know that this bot, because who the fuck is going to cop, copy Barber Vineyards? Nobody. And the by the way, the cork crumbled into this thing so bad. Like, I know. I mean, especially, look. So I bought this from a, a private collection, but it was already at something because they put a barcode on it. And, like, Honestly, I know we talked about this in like, I think it was episode nine when we were talking about Rudy and the fake and all that stuff. I don't want to know that it's fake. You're right. That would actually I, really suck if I actually, you tested. I don't want to know. I actually genuinely don't want to know because the vast, vast, vast majority of my wine is single or two bottle things. Now, granted, I've, I've been very fortunate to buy from wineries and I get my things. I know they're real, but you're right. If I sold it to you and you didn't know me, you're going off my faith. That's fine. But... I don't want to know I spent this money and it turns out it's fucking fake because it's just wine. It's not like it's a Picasso or if I bought a Lamborghini and I open the hood and it turns out there's a six banger Honda engine in there. It's a kit car. It's a fucking wine. And the end game of wine to me, it's always, I always want a good wine, but the only thing that matters is this. Yeah. The conversation. That's what matters yeah. to me. The geekiness of, oh, did you try this? Okay. Did you try this? Did you matter? Now, and if somebody dips a fucking stick in there and goes, that's not real. Night's ruined. Okay. So the reason why they actually did this was not because of wine. Because I didn't realize this. It's probably a scotch. It thing. was because of scotch. People blending things they shouldn't and have And I did blending. not realize how the scotch industry, especially with aged scotches and vintage scotches, are very heavily faked on the global market. And it's a bad problem right now in the global market. Wow. I, what actually, we see I here no in idea. America, I, I, I don't think we really see it as much here because we don't realize it because... There's not a lot of people necessarily selling what we call the gray market wines or stuff like in you know the the little liquor yeah, store yeah, yeah, in yeah. New York City. He's like, hey, I got this. I got this thing. It's I, got, no I label. got this fifty year old Scotch that's Macallan and blah 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 blah. And I'll sell funny because I see a lot of rare stuff coming out more and more. Oh, I've got a nineteen sixty three. And, and, and now that now that Scotch collectors are getting more and more prominent in the market. And people are trying to grab old vintages and they want to have that 25-year-old or they want to have that vintage scotch that's like, this is the 1990, 30-year-old or this, this, this. Now, in America, when we drink a bottle of wine, we sit down, this bottle's gone, we're going to open a second one. With scotch, you're going to savor that over For years, a long period of time. Look at that 18-year-old Lagavulin that I bought you. I still have it. How many years I'm, ago did I buy that? And I'm just sipping. And and the look in your eye when you pulled that bottle out, you're like, it's like your little baby. Dude, I loved it. it I fucking love yeah. it, man. And this is, in America, I think most of what we get when it comes to scotch is real. I think in Europe, it's a bad problem right now. Like, fake scotches. Which I, I can... A hundred percent see that happening in like an Eastern Bloc or in India or China, like places where the regulation is tough. So I guess my, again, it comes down to, I swear to God, if somebody told me tomorrow, hey, John, that lag of woolen that he gave you, or excuse me, the uh, Lafroy 18 that Damien gave, turns out because he bought it in 2015, it was fake. I'd be so fucking mad. I'd be so mad. Not because it's fake, but because you told me it was fake. I rather have this idea that this is an 18 because I love scotch, but I am not a 0.1% amazing person that could sit there and just, you know, sip through all stuff. Now, wine, but you're not I buying. could do it with good stuff, but still, if you came to me and said, 
if this was fake and you poured this and the whole night you and I had this great conversation, great podcast, great show, everything. And at the end of it, I went, by the way, I bought this for, I poured Rodney Strong in here. You'd be like, what the fuck, man? You wouldn't be mad that this was fake. You'd be mad that I deceived you. The, the price of scotch, though, right now in auctions, <laughs> especially at, but in auctions, these old ones, because we buy a lot of wine on auction. Well, you know what we should and, do? We should take some Screaming Eagle Saw Blanc bottles and just put fucking sun, just recork it. But <laughs> we'll you make $5,000 a bottle. You go to the very bottom of the auction page, there's always some spirits down on the bottom. Yeah. And some of those bottles are 3000 5000 8000 Cognacs, scotch. You're, it's always, by the way, you're right. It's always the, the scotches, a cognac, and, and a whiskey. And a lot of those get super expensive. And a lot of them are old. They'll be like, this is a 1950s single cask scotch that was a 30-year-old scotch and blah, 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 blah. And it's funny you said that All right, right there, the single cask. I have seen, and now that we've talked about this, I wonder, I've seen a, oh, we accidentally, we found this barrel at the back ah. of our place and the barrel turns out is from 1953. And I wonder, I'm like, how did you not know that this barrel was. How did back you lose there. a barrel for thirty years? Yeah. Now, granted. <laughs> like, now, to be fair, to be fair, playing devil's advocate in America, we've got like digital devices that track everything. And if you're an Irish Scotsman who drinks every fucking Irish Scotsman, sorry, sorry. <laughs> if you're a Scotsman and you're drinking every night with your dad who drank every night and your grandpa who drinks, I could get you could lose a barrel because you get drunk one night and you're like, hey, laddie, let's roll a barrel and bury it in the ground. And then you forget. And 50 years later, they go, hey, we dug our backyard. And we found this barrel. I, that's a real possibility in Scotland. But I, in America, they're going to trace that shit. I think the, the big problem also with scotch or the thing is that scotch is so limited it's it has to come from Scotland, has to come from certain isles. And you, the other night, we were talking about scotches and your knowledge of Scotch really impresses me as you're like, oh, this is from the Isles, this is from the Inland, this is from this, this is from there. There's a very limited amount of space that you could produce Scotch. And yes. the amount of Scotch right now that's hitting the global markets is insane. You get, dude, look at all the well Scotches in America. Like, there's the cheap shit, like oh, yeah. Usher's Green Stripes and those crappy <laughs> fucking Scotches. And that's just, that's the fucking rubbish. But to be Scotch, it has to be from Scotland. It still has to be from Scotland. Well, Scotland's, it's like Napa. Scotland's not that big. Well, Napa's this big, and they still have Napa Cab hitting a shelf at 15 bucks. And you're like, what the fuck did you blend together to make a Napa Cab? And it sucks. I mean, yeah. I'm actually kind of curious now what. The how Napa Valley compares to the Scottish area of like uh, Scotch production, like land, land wise, how much, how if they're bigger, smaller. So there's two different things here, but they're kind of the same. Let me go with this. One, you can make any whiskey in Scotch in Scotland. It's easy. It's just water and grain, but it's the peat. The peat is what really makes, and that only Scotch. comes off certain areas. Exactly. Now, with Napa, there's only so many rooms you could put grapes, but it's kind of the same level of peat. There's only so much peat. Actually, really, here's a really obscure thought. You think there'll ever be a point in time where they literally, in Scotland, whether it's 1,000 years, 10,000 years from now, they run out of peat? Yes. They just, I mean, they have to, in theory. They have to run out of peat. It'll get rarer and rarer. It'll get, because, I mean, I've seen the way they do it's it. It's technically like a net a net negative every year. They, if they dig a square cube and build it, well, you just lost that. And then you dig the next one and every year. And all of a sudden you lose 10 acres, the ocean, the breeds, the trees, everything making peat is disappearing year by year. 
I'd be intrigued by it. At and least that, Napa, every year you can grow a crate. You can always grow a crate. But the only thing that affects it is the weather. If it gets too hot, all of a sudden one day you can't grow cab anymore. And I know people talk a lot about cork trees and how cork's going to run out. But, you know, cork trees actually replenish they themselves replenish. pretty fast. Yeah, like, it's surprisingly just, it's the skin. Yeah, surprisingly enough that... It's not like they're chopping the tree down. Correct. Yeah. Yes, there might be a cork shortage someday just because of the global production. However, there's also a lot of winemakers that are going to alternate methods of it don't kid yourself probably someday somebody will plant a cork tree in i don't know dude arizona and they go oh hey it works try and grow a cork tree in my backyard if i really wanted to but you know what i couldn't you know what i couldn't do i couldn't have a peat marsh you couldn't have peat marsh you'd have to literally make your own tank feed it and it would take you 10 years to make a block this big and your scotch would cost you a thousand dollars and i think that's the reason why they came up with this artificial tongue or they're coming up with these ideas of because of the fake markets. I mean, the fake markets are in a lot of things. Who cares if you, you... Nobody's faking vodka. Nobody's faking fucking rum. Nobody's faking fucking gin. Scotch is a very special product. Which I could get. I get it. It's scotch. You have a name. You have a reputation. Same thing with Napa. Same thing with limited, Bordeaux. Limited area. Burgundy, limited production. Tequila. Fine. So my, here's the fun one. And I think this would be fun. So let's talk about the positive of this. Uh, by the way, I'm imagining when we say tongue, we think of tongue versus probably like a dish and it drops it away. Now, imagine you have a robot and you're a lonely introvert with no friends, no girlfriend. You're hanging out. And then you got a robot who sits there and goes, hello, Damien. How do you like this wine? And you taste it and go, oh, it tastes like this. And he tastes it and you put it on a setting where he doesn't tell you what it is. But he's like, yes, it tastes like cherries and raspberries and under smoked underbrush. And you're like, oh, I taste it. And then you get to have a conversation with the robot about what some tastes like. And then at the end... You could jokingly be like, so what is it? And he goes, it's 1962 Chateau Mouton. I'm like, oh, well, I dope. think I think that the was it the human nose can identify. Well, you, you could smell up to like 10,000 different things. You can readily identify a thousand. I think you can. That's about right. I think you can. If they if they keep going down this path, they could probably program in this a flavor of raspberry. They could take a hundred thousand different types of raspberries and put it into this computer's brain and say these are what every type of raspberry tastes like cooked raspberries dry raspberries raspberries from New York, raspberries raspberries from fucking california raspberries from fucking here raspberries from there right. and they could program all this shit in and then they could do it again with lychee fruit and they could do it again with something else and in, 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 in a number of years oak, oak will be easy because you just toast it and just they could drop a little thing on say this has Three percent, twenty-three and me with flavors. This, yeah. this has three percent of the raspberry flavor of New York. This has eight percent of the raspberry flavor of Wisconsin. This has four percent of the raspberry flavor from California. This has lychee from here. This this tastes like. Fucking, By the way, you invented some twenty-three me and flavors. Yeah, of wine flavors. Yeah, yeah. it's like Baskin Robbins thirty-one flavors. Instead, in this case, you'd make a twenty-three. Ten thousand flavors. Yeah. I mean, this this is where technology is going, and I literally this is something that could be incorporated into a cell phone. And who knows, once, I mean, to get geeky to the nth degree, once we start putting computers on our bodies, who knows what this could lead to? This could be, you could, you could have a, a thing on your finger that literally you, you put your finger in the wine. And your brain and, just and Elon, Elon Musk's little thing that's like incorporated in your brain easily goes, this has flavors of Wisconsin apples, uh, Granny Smith's from New York, these from New York. Like, True, but does it taste it? Like, all right, so let's say, all right, so 
I, I like what you. But it's I just like getting the, the es- it's just the, getting the esters and the, the things. Granted, you might not taste it because everybody tastes different things. Well, you're right, because in the end, it's just a chemical. That's all it is. It's just a chemical, and then Arbor. But here's the crazy thing, though, is in the end, the one thing that really separates it is what you taste is not what I taste. Now, yeah, this is Barber Vineyards 2007 Cab. That's that's what's in here, 100. percent But we don't taste the same thing. You, you and I will equally taste 60% of the same thing. We know it's a cab. We know it's a, but you might get cinnamon. I might get clove. You might get raspberry. I might get cherry. Like there's those subtle. You also have not, you also have not programmed your brain to represent what a raspberry from 37 different countries tastes like. True. So you could be like, well, I don't taste raspberries. Well, you you haven't, you haven't had raspberries from 37 different countries. And once again, we talked about lychee or some of these flavors where, you have been like, well, I never tasted that in wine. And now years later of drinking with me, you're like, I know exactly what that wine is. I know exactly what that flavor is. There are a couple that I've, I've learned with because we sat here and said, the, this the, is the what tars, this is. The tars, the roses. There's yeah. certain things with Barolos where we've just broken it down. Now, as soon as you smell it, you're like, I know what that flavor is. Honestly, Gamay is one of those ones where the second I smell a Gamay, I'm like, I, I can kind of know that it's a Gamay. Barolo is or even, you think about or Nebbiolo like, in general is up there. Even something simple like New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc very much has that grapefruit characteristic in it. Not cat pee. No, I don't. <laughs> but that's something that not everybody, not everybody's owned a cat. Not everybody's been peed on by a cat. I have. It smells like cat pee to me. Totally. But, but that, to but, some but, people, it's but, gooseberry but the, but the, but the and what's it? Gooseberry. What the gooseberry. fuck is a gooseberry? It smells like, like cat pee. <laughs> yeah. But, the, but that pink grapefruit characteristic you get out of them. It's funny. You once you pink grapefruit. Once you train somebody mentally about it, then they smell like, oh, this smells like New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. But if you've never had it and you've never been exposed to it a thousand times, whereas a computer, it's analytical. It's already got it. It's analytical. It knows the chemicals. It instantly. That's Which, like, but that takes the fun out of it because then becomes so... You don't get to sit there and look at a piece of art and go, oh, I get this idea from it. And then the robot goes, no, you're wrong. It's this, 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 this. And it's actually a car accident. But you if, saw a beautiful flower. If like, they oh. program in fucking sandalwood or cassis. <laughs> or what's the other one? Green coffee bean. Motherfuckers. The green they put coffee a green bean. coffee bean. I'm done. I swear. I Once again, I was eating the green coffee beans in Seattle that time. Do you know what it tastes like? You didn't tell you it tastes like Wood. Yeah. It tastes, <laughs> it tastes like, like the like lima shit. beans you get were given to like glue on your paper. Yeah. No, I just, I think there's a certain point in time. It's you take the mystery out of things. And I, by the way, this is super cool. It's really cool somebody made this. Like, it's human ingenuity to the nth degree, and I love it. I think it's super cool. But if you start to lose the mystery in things, you lose the fun. And the mystery in wine is, what do you taste? I taste it. What do I taste? I taste it. And then, you know, we talk about this. The conversation can be, hey, how was your day? What did you see in politics? How was the sports game? Whatever. And then you come back to the wine to drinking. Oh, I'm tasting this. I'm blah, blah, blah. But if you have a robot just spitting out, here's what this is. Here's what this is. All of a sudden, it's no longer mystery. It's these are the facts. And while facts are great. I guess it takes away from the Psalm A too. Oh, yeah. Psalm's useless. It actually, it'll... Sama, we're, they're gonna, those robots are gonna took our jabs. Well, there you go. When when the sommelier sits down and blind tastes to get his master psalm degree or whatever, and he's got his five wines in front of him and he tastes them all, they they stop the thing and they put the little device in there. I'm like, what'd you say for one? Well, I said this, this, and this. And the little device goes something completely opposite. You're like, fuck, I just failed. Or, or you cheat and you have a device on your tongue 
that nobody knows is there, and it immediately I, sends a signal to your brain saying, Barolo, 1979. Now you're getting some cyberpunk. Bruno Giocosa. This is cyberpunk Dude, shit people, now. Dude, people are cheating steroid shit across this country. Wait till Psalms become making so much money that they have to cheat to make it look like they're a fucking dope guy who knows everything yeah, to well, be the next master song. Well, when you have a computer that can tell you all the flavor profiles in the wine, then it makes it even tougher for the sommelier to bullshit his way through it. So you're right. Maybe, Maybe. then... So then you start cheating. Yeah, you put a thing on your tongue. You uh, you go Blade Runner and you put a thing on your tongue that tells you what every single thing is because it neural links from Elon Musk thing into your brain says strawberry raspberries from California, lychee from this area. Therefore, it must be a California cab, northern Mendocino area, underripe, 1999. Uh, it was cold year. Say that. And then you spit that out. I mean, how, how crazy is it that literally someday there could be a device that's either on your phone or something like that that you could just dip in your wine? But it wouldn't even be a phone. It'll be like a tube like, that they replace that does everything for like, you. Like, oh, this year was a hot year. It had a moist spring. Uh, cheers. Cheers, fucker. And it, 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 it really does blow me away like where technology is going and the way it's being incorporated. I really like the way that this could be a tool to counter... The counterfeits in the market. No, I, I 100% agree. A tool, a great tool, a hammer that can be like fake, 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 but at the same time you use it wrong and it's going to take and, something away from And this you. is just the tip of the iceberg too. This isn't like, think yeah. about the computers and technology, the way it's come in the last five years. They just created, this is brand spanking new. Oh, it's insane. In five years, you're going to be like, they're doing what? In 10 years, they're doing what? So, yeah, you're right. They're, they're going to put a, they're, they're, How do you they're, lie? They're going to put a filling in your tooth that's going to be able to like identify flavors and profiles of wine and tell you whether or not it's fake. I mean, so, and even then, and I always wonder this, and it, I think the day will come, and I think this will be really cool. I'd be intrigued to try. Is someday at some point they're going to make uh, hypersonic jets that leave the atmosphere and come back down so you can get to France, to California in two hours. Now, imagine if you had a freight truck that took the best Merlot out of France, the best Cabernet out of California, the best Cab Franc out of Argentina, and there's a facility in the middle, and they all blend it. And you're just going to end up doing it. It's probably going to be Chateau Rothschild or Paul Hobbs or whoever has the most money at the time. That will be really cool. And then it's going to change the entire game of how things are made because it's no longer Bordeaux's the best. It's a world-based wine kind of a thing. All right, so speaking of Bordeaux, we're drinking Cabernet, and Bordeaux and Merlot dominate. Uh, Cabernet and Merlot dominate Bordeaux. But Bordeaux is actually trying to approve new grapes for the first time. Was it like 14? They haven't passed. They they put up their list I saw it. of potentials. Yeah, I saw that. And, and, I, was, and I only recognized two of the grapes out of all those. White varietals, too. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, there are a number of white varietals. So right now, uh, the way it's basically put up is that you can't... You're, if you're going to grow these in Bordeaux Superior... Uh, your vineyard cannot be composed of more than 10% of these alternate varietals, and your final product cannot contain more than 5% of the product. Yes. Or I think I got that might be backwards, but they're it, trying. It, along a, those lines, it's, yes. it's, it's is what they're trying. And I was really surprised because one of them's a, sp- a couple of them are Spanish varietals. I know, because you got to start getting prepped for it's going to get hot. Yep. Tariga Nacional. I saw that. Is. One of the ones are trying to be allowed to grow and to blend into Bordeaux's. Yeah. Well, think about this. In the 1700s, Bordeaux was mostly made of Carmenere, Malbec, and Merlot. And it wasn't until Carmenere got wiped out. And then they brought in Cab and a few other things because, A, it was mostly a disease that killed it. Now it's no longer a disease. It's climate change. So now you got to prep. The nice thing about America is as long as you pay your taxes, do whatever you want. 
But with the laws they have in Europe, they really need to start getting real flexible on what you can and cannot do in regions, which sucks because you're going to lose the authenticity of something. But if you still make a good wine, I don't know. In my opinion, I I say go for it. I think they've chosen some good varietals. A lot of the varietals they chose are very high acid grapes. Bordeaux is meant to age. You yes. want high acid grapes. I imagine that group that I don't know, maybe it's a committee, maybe it's a I don't know how they work that. Like it's a committee, a chair, whatever, you know, the people who run Bordeaux sat there and they thought for a long time. They did. What gives little tannin, what gives off not offensive flavors and are similar ish, and what has that acid to keep it fresh. So the 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 idea of these grape varietals that they chose were ones that were naturally high in acid, had strong aromatics. And we're have natural resistance against molds, mildews, and diseases. That's their livelihood. That's their money. Like one one big disease or mold or something like that comes through, and you, you just you just lost seventeen million dollars on a yeah. vintage. You know. Look, in the end, everybody, every business has to reinvent yes. everything. Have you seen the new uh, Corvette? They moved the engine to the back. It's now a mid-engine car because they're adapting. And no, you know what? People are going to go, it's not the Corvette like usual, but it's still really cool. So we got to go. It's smart. I like that Bordeaux is kind of like, we have problems. We'd like to keep it original up to like 85%, but the rest of it, we're going to give you this leeway to, you know, adapt and change as the change comes. So, yeah, good point. You have to. I mean, it's, it's, it's so important. This isn't... Dude, scotch, it doesn't matter if it's 150 degrees in Scotland. It's still going to be scotch. They still have the peat. They can still distill it to whatever. Now, you're like beer can be affected. Maybe you don't get the hops that you want. Maybe mosaic has problems. If you have all your mosaic is grown in Oregon and Oregon only, and it gets too hot and you don't have mosaic grapes anymore, you can't make that beer. But distilling is the same. It's mostly barrel-driven. Wine, dude, it's every it's it's that temperature affects that grape, so you got to adjust. So the the grapes that are allowed, or that they're not allowed, but they're presenting to have one. We talked about Tariga Nacional, uh, Marcelon, which is a uh, crossbreed of Cabernet Sauvignon and Grenache Noir. Interesting. Small grapes, really small tannic grapes, really intense flavors, uh, and also very resilient. When it comes to seasonal changes, rots, molds, and mildews. Grape varietal called Castets, which I've never heard of, and that's why I'm actually looking at my thing. Uh, it's a grape that is a forgotten grape from the Gironde or the Pyrenees area. Uh, they're, in 2016, there are only 2.9 hectares in the entire country of France. That is so weird that you pull out that out of your hat. Yeah. It says that it has a good resistance to mildews. And it's great for aging. So, I mean, they've, it's a low acid grape though. So, I think these are going to be blenders. That's the point that of the two, three, four percent grape. Yes. Yeah. So, they're trying to find something that can blend. If your wine needs a little better aromatics, we have something. You need a little more acid, we have something. Is it going to be your backbone? Is it going to be your main one? No. no. Your main one is cab. If my cab needs a little more acid, hey, you know what? I can go ahead and add Marcelon. And that's if not going to affect it. It's no. not going to, it might. Boost it up a little, but there's it's, there's the acid that it it's missed. seasoning. Yeah, it's the the steak is there. The steak is your cabernet and your merlot. This is the salt and perfect. Pepper. This example. is the salt and pepper. Perfect. Yeah, the steak is the cab. We're adding a little bit of rosemary. Totally. Might throw in a yes. little bit of like lemon juice on it, but salt, pepper. Yeah, that's it. This yeah. this is just seasoning basically for it. 
Um, and oak is barbecue sauce, or they just and slather across that thing. And the last one is Aranoa. I, was Alicante Bouchette in there, I thought? No. Uh, uh, Aranoa is a crossbreed of Tanat and Cab, developed in, a, developed in a lab in France. I wonder who has the patent on that one. <laughs> right? Uh, super tannic, high in acid. I mean, just a good blender. And then in the whites, here's another Portugal one. I don't know. Somebody from Portugal must have slept with somebody from France, and they must have... Because you got Tariq and and Allen, here's for whites. You know the whites of Bordeaux are Sauvignon Blanc and Semillon? Yeah. Alvarino. Okay. High acid. Yep. You're familiar... You're, everyone's... Well, we're familiar with Alvarino or Alvarino. Same grape. Yeah. Uh, aromatic white... Um, growing in both lots of acid, yes. sippy, racy, but not intrusive. It's a good, I'd be intrigued to see how Bordeaux does if they did what Rhone did. You know how like, you know, like Cote Roti, you have Syrah and that Viognier to like knock it up. Now, okay, let's, but let's do this. Let's, let's think about what Rhone did. And at some point in some time, somebody sat there and said, I'm going to do Syrah, but the nose isn't there. And somebody came along and says, well, hey, add a little Viognier and it boosts it up. And they went, oh, shit, this is amazing. So then before they do it, I bet like Bordeaux is going through the same thing where they're like, well, we need a little, we just need that little caffeine kick. We need a little boost to help us go. So we, I said earlier in the show, warm climate Chardonnay is something that makes us all cringe. Like hot climate Chardonnay, you're like, Ugh. there's nothing better than, you know, muddled what, celery. What's special about Alvarino or Alvarino is that it will develop great aromatics and great acid in hot climate. That's why they grow it in parts of Portugal and Spain to very yeah. to great success. If your temperatures are warming up in your region and you want a grape that you can grow in a hotter climate, Alvarino is a perfect little grape to grow there because it can add some aromatics to your wine. Even if it's hot as fuck, it still produces great acid. So that's why I think they chose that grape. Now, granted, none of these have been approved yet, but they're... Probably. These are the ones they presented. Yeah. Um, uh, Mansing? M-A-N-S-E-N-G. I've never heard of this. Yeah, this is a unique one. It says it's a century-old grape varietal that was recently visited by Decanter. Um, it has seductive qualities that involve sweetness and high acid. But it's super resistant to gray rot. Never heard That's of it. That's cool. I think it's just one of those easy drinking white grapes. I mean, in Europe, you have a ton of white grapes that they just blend or distill or yeah. they just drink in your hometown. Nobody knows what the fuck it is. Yeah, because there's the guy who has the one hill and they all get to geek out about it. I mean, so like, yeah, I'm intrigued to see what Napa will do in the future for what they do. Now, granted, they always do different blends. Like I've had Cap Syrah blends. I've had Syrah Zin blends. You have those Merita the Meritage blends with everything. I know this one was, if I remember when I got this, this was, I think it was a, like almost 100% cab. They did this on French overall. I like this. This one grew on me for a while. This wine is I'm, I'm just intrigued to see what Napa does over the next decade. This wine is drinking fantastic. For a Cabernet Sauvignon, what is this, 07? 7, 2007. It's, it's got balance. It has a finish. Mm -hmm. The mid-palate is a little unilateral. It kind of just, it's, I hate using the word smooth. I know it's a, a taboo term amongst. You're sick, your favorite five-letter word? Yeah. God. You know what else is a great five-letter word? Moist. Moist. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> that almost came out the nose. <laughs> <laughs> we have our new shirts so this wine has an exceptionally long finish but to me it doesn't have the peaks and the valleys in the mid palate it, it has it is very 
long and wavy, but it doesn't have the highs and the lows like some wines that we drink and we talk about. It's not a bad thing. I think it's fantastic. This wine, if I was to rate this wine on a scale of one to 10, I'm going to put it in a high eight, maybe a low nine as far as quality. No, no, we're not is, talking like 90 points This isn't spectator yeah. enthusiast bullshit because to be honest, those people review their wines on a roughly a 25 point scale. Yeah. You never see a wine below 75 points. No. And if somebody. An eight and a half is a good thing for and, like and, what And we're if somebody about. gets a 75, you do not want that wine. No. If I averaged a B plus through high school, my parents would have loved me. Yeah. This wine to a me. B plus is an 88. Yeah. You know, that's what a, that right about there, right? Yeah. I mean, honestly, like, I'm really happy with a wine like this because. This probably would have been fine with food, but it's actually fine by itself. Like there's some wines you go, I wish I had that with food or I wish I didn't eat that with this. This is one of those wines sipping on it. It's the oak comes off nicely and creamy. Like there's it. The oak is there. It's a lot there. I pick it up a little more. I get a little chocolate bacon almost on the back end, but the fruit comes first, which I like. That's cool. I don't want it to be dominated by oak, but it's big. And, and by big, minus the tannin. The tannins are all smoothed out. It's all a solid, like, circular stone. It's not jagged. It's not rough. It's there. But the oak is a little more dominant than I would imagine, you know, like, easier wines are. Um, and not in a bad way. I think it complements the wine. So it's fruit and then immediate chocolatey bacon kind of flavor. So to me, it's a chocolate cherried bacon flavored bomb which isn't bad like it's it's a delicious wine in a good way but this is one of those wines where people who would love a silver oak or franciscan or one of those wines they want to get into the aged stuff and they want to learn how to branch into aged wine this would be a great aged wine for them to kind of come into so our when we went to high school or we were in junior high elementary school we were taught that the tongue had four taste buds Bitter, sweet, salt, and sour. That's like six. Well, we have five. There's umami. Don't forget umami. Yeah, that's the sixth. That's five. Bitter, sweet, salt, and sour. Savory is number sweet. five. Bitter, sweet, salt, and sour. Five. Umami. Is umami. And savory. Umami is, is savory. Was... They're the same thing. Okay. They're the same exact thing. That's your fifth taste bud. That's it. You got it. Five. But I thought there was heat. Mm. Spice or spice, whatever they called it. So All right, this is one of the only wines. We'll argue about this when it's over. <laughs> this is one of the only wines I've ever had that touches the fifth taste bud. That umami flavor. This wine is sav savory. Savory. Potatoes are savory. Mushrooms are savory. Savory. It has that comfort feeling when you drink it. It's that feeling of I'm I'm safe. I'm happy. Like there's this. It's a coating. It's yes. a coating sensation. Eat, eat, this coat. Eat a shit tongue. ton. Eat, Thanksgiving dinner, mashed potatoes. Like you eat mashed potatoes, the world is okay. Yeah. This wine to me is literally one of the few wines I've ever had in my life where I can actually say that I'm getting that fifth taste bud. Like that's this, awesome. It feels savory. Like I feel comfortable drinking this wine, which is weird to say because I I often I say this wine is bitter, this wine is sweet, this wine I'm, I never said salty in a wine. I've said salty in a beer for the first time. I've said salty in like Chablis, but I, oh, actually, I say right. it as briny. Okay, I I'm, say I'm, briny. I'm, and salinity. Actually, I'm, salinity. I'm completely wrong. Uh, Verdicchio and some of these Italian wines have that salty characteristic. Yeah. So you're right. I, I was wrong. Um, I have said salty with some wines. 
I haven't had heat as much unless you get that unbalanced high alcohol. But and some wines good. have a sour characteristic and a tanginess to it a little bit. But but it's a bad wine. But really, it's bitter and sweet are the two prominent taste buds in wine. Never savory. Never. And this wine has that to me. It's so weird to say that. Like that's how I feel right now, just drinking this. And I think just that that. Without the peaks and the valleys, it has that kind of unilateral, like, damn, this is good, 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 good. It keeps going and going and going, and yeah. that, to me, is kind of nice. It's also been nice that this has been open now for, I don't know what time we're at, but it hasn't gone up, hasn't gone down. It's just kind of been like, yeah, just perfectly plateauing this whole time. It's a, just a journey the whole I'm, way through. I'm, I'm glad we decanted it. I mean, the main reason we decanted it was because John broke the cork three separate times. I don't know if you could see it. And pushed it into the bottle. The cork is... It's literally in the bottle. There, yeah. It's like a, it's like the little ship in the bottle. Like it's never coming out. We spent, I spent, ten minutes trying to dig it under. Uh, we used a lobster <laughs> poker <laughs> to try <laughs> to poke it through. There it is. You never know. Hey, sometimes you gotta bust the lobster poker out to get the cork. Just hey, unique wine utensils. You get by with what you uh, have. Exactly. You know, I mean, just like the Asso. I mean, we tried that, but it was already broke by then. It's broke. That was good, man. I loved every bit about this. The wine? Everything. Conversations? Every bit about it, as usual. No, I think this was right, though. It was good. We're at at one hour. One hour? We can talk for another five, ten minutes. I mean, I can, but I'm going to go to the bathroom if we do that. (laughs) Oh, it's done. (laughs) (laughs) We had a lot of beer before we did this one, too, though. Cool. Let's wrap it up. Wrap it up. Um... Final thoughts for you. Dude, man, this is fun. I like these. I, I hope to bring more to you guys where we have a normal conversation. Um, we like to bring our thoughts more of what's going on in the industry and just kind of general life-based things and philosophy-driven things with our cab conversations. We'll do more of these. I've got a lot of Cabernets we can break out and talk about. So we'll talk about the wine. We'll just talk about life in general. These are our good uh, our thoughts that we always want to bring to the table And we'll do our regular shows as an educational experience. So, like, you can know the gins or the wines or the scotches or the beers, and we'll bring them all to the table. But this is our, this is you and me. The Cabernet conversation is our time. This is the conversation, this is the things we want to talk about as we go. If we weren't recording, these are the conversations you and I would have drinking this bottle tonight. Yeah. That's all it is. Think about it the same way if you have your friends around and you're all drinking. This is it. Because if we're doing Chianti Classico, we're doing Barolo, we're doing these regions, we're talking about the regions, it's more educational based. I Honestly, the Cabernet conversations, it's just a lot of fun. We're going to talk talking. about society, what's going on in the business. My rants on Facebook about the distributors and what's going on right now in the distribution yeah. business and how... If you want to get a couple laughs, follow him on Facebook. He's got it going on right now. <laughs> yes. Follow me on Facebook. I've been having a lot of fun with it. Uh, and also follow us on Instagram. It's Spilling the Truth Podcast. Uh, we're trying to not only post all the bottles we have, we're trying to follow our lives, what's going on, dinners on Thursdays with John's dad. We'll reach jo- out to you guys, and if we like something and we want to comment on it, we will, because we like we like what you guys do. And please also send us recommendations. You know, Definitely. We definitely want to hear your thoughts. One of the things recently is that a lot of people have actually commented to us that they love listening to our conversations, but sometimes they tune into a show because they want to get that information out of a show. If it's a Chianti Classico show, 
we're going to try and keep a little more focus in the first hour on Chianti Classico and yeah. then spend the next four hours rant, like just drinking and having fun. But if you guys have a, a random thought or a question you want to throw out there, we'll bring it up at some point. I promise you we don't forget about it. And if you want us to do a region, you're like, man, I want to learn more about Temecula Almond Chardonnay. Like, We'll do a Temecula send, Almond. It's send, not going to be fun, send, but we'll send do us it. Send mail, man. It's going to be fun. We'll do it. Totally. <laughs> Awesome, man, dude. This is a very moist episode, buddy. Dude, cheers to that. Cheers, man. Awesome. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Love you.